treasures that we all seem to dig for. Deep ninja health, Buddha, you were made to transform. So go on with your bad self, put you back into it. Go on with your higher self, sweat and blood, prove it. If you want it, you can have it. Pay your dues, witness magic. Wrap it up in a package, give it back to the masses. to Conscious Living Radio 100.5 FM in Vancouver, Co-op Radio. I'm Tasha Sims, and guess who's here? Yeah, guess. Who is here? That looks like an Andrew Resmer. It must be Andrew Resmer, then. Andrew has popped back in. We've got an exciting show for you tonight. Um, you know, doing Conscious Living Radio interviews, we've had many guests who are offering personal growth workshops and facilitating trainings. Everyone's talking about transformative experiences. Um, we promote that. That's like natural to this show to talk about all That's those things. That's for. what we're here for. And I have never been a fan of power over in any way or gurus, as you know, or uh, one teacher knowing more than another. But we have had guests who say it's necessary mm-hmm. as part of a path of uh, enlightenment or empowerment. We've certainly had lots of those. So I, I, we're diving in tonight. Our guest is going to share her story of rising in the ranks of the cult Nexium. And hopefully we'll get to illuminating the dangers when you're involved with organizations or individuals who are professing to hold keys to our autonomy. Sarah Edmondson's our guest. She's a Vancouver-based actress, a playwright. She starred in the CBS series Salvation, as well as numerous films for television, Hallmark, and Lifetime channels. And she's written a book called Scarred, the true story of how I escaped Nexium the cult that bound my life. She's also featured in the CBC podcast Uncover, Exposing Nexium, and The Vow, an HBO documentary series on Nexium. The cult itself was founded by self-help guru Keith Ranieri. He was called Vanguard, revered by his followers as the smartest man in the world. And Sarah herself was part of recruiting for this organization, starting a hugely successful center here in Vancouver, not realizing she was in inviting family, friends, hundreds of people into what eventually was discovered to be a sex cult. So just to get you up to speed, uh, Ranieri, Keith Ranieri, the leader, is currently in jail, having been found guilty of sex trafficking, child pornography, racketeering, and forced labor conspiracy. Prosecutors say he coerced and blackmailed women into sleeping with him, um, had women branded with his initials, he had sex with a 15-year-old, and a woman had her confined to a bedroom for two years. So we'll hear tonight how Sarah finally realized what was going on, went public, exposing the link between an organization preaching self-empowerment and an internal cult-like subgroup dedicated to serving the desires of its founder, Keith Ranieri. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you. That was a wonderful summary. (laughs) Well, I really, really want to thank you for being here. I know it can't be easy to talk about, keep talking about this. And I also want to thank you for writing the book. 
I think as disturbing as it is, it's important. And it's so important because people really are always searching for something and looking for um, a way to have their best life. And, you know, having these kinds of conversations where we understand what can happen when you give away your power, how does that happen and what to watch out for, um, I really think it's brave what you're doing, and I'm very appreciative to have you here. Thank you. That means a lot. I appreciate that. And, so, I, and I think we should, um, just in case, uh, if there are children listening and parents uh, who may be concerned about the uh, nature of this topic may um, be disturbing to some people, so I wanted to make sure that uh, listeners are aware. So diving in. Um, let's start at the beginning. Do you know the roots of Nexium? I think it was 1989 or so where Kate Ranieri and Nancy Salzman formed it together, right? 1998. 98. Yeah, in Albany and upstate New York. And what, knowing what you know now, what do you believe the intention was? Well, we don't totally know for sure, to be honest. But my hypothesis is that Keith has always wanted to be adored and... Um, is a narcissistic sociopath, in my opinion, and set up a, a system in which he could bring in followers who would do just that for him and, and wanted sex, power, and control. And you can't just ask for that directly, I guess. You have to manipulate people in order to um, achieve it. And he, he set up Nexium as, as, as the front, as I always visualize this onion, and there's an outer ring of the onion, and imagine it covered in honey. And the, and the honey is the, the workshops that he created with Nancy, who I do believe had some legitimate tools that she'd been trained in, and together they packaged a, a really wonderful and for many quite transformative tool set that would lure people in and um, be valuable to many people and then those who continued would be for Keith um, to use in various ways. And those were called executive success programs, programs. correct. I, we actually didn't use the word Nexium, which is the is the name that's very familiar with the, uh, you know, out in the news right now. Mm -hmm. um, we used ESP, Executive Success Programs. That's the center that I ran here. And that's one of the companies underneath Nexium. And that's the personal and professional development. So what attracted you? Well, I met a filmmaker, uh, and by the way, I'm so glad I didn't meet you guys when I was in Nexium because I, I totally would have wanted to be on the show and talk about how great ESP was. <laughs> and, and, and I was surprised actually today when we met earlier. Uh, I, I talked to Cyrus, and you're like, "How how was that possible that we haven't interviewed you That's before?" True. Yeah, yeah, it's true. That's exactly the kinds of th interviews we'll do. Like, we're not... I think we need a disclaimer, actually, mm -hmm. uh, that we don't necessarily endorse everyone we talk to, because that's exactly right. You mm -hmm. would have been on the show if we'd met. Yeah, yeah I actually listened to, just to get up to speed, because I have been in a cult and then totally in a media bubble, so I had to, you know, listen to some of your past episodes and hearing some of the other speakers and coaches. I was like, oh, wow, that's totally what we would have claimed. Yeah. Also, find, yeah. help you helping people find purpose and alignment and dismantling old beliefs and blah 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 all that stuff which I do think <laughs> is possible to do still right. I'm just a little more skeptical of right. the people's intent when they invite people to do such things so yeah. so the course yes. was offering all those things offering all those things and it was introduced to me and really my biggest nugget that I can give to people as a takeaway when they ask me how do you get involved and how does this work it's all based on trust 
And I was invited by a man named Mark Vicente, who made a film called What the Bleep Do We Know? Mm -hmm. And most of the people listening to the show, I'm sure, will remember What the Bleep, because it was a huge mm -hmm. documentary in the early 2000s. We actually interviewed almost half of the people. I'm sure. And, and Mark, if you want to interview him, he's, he's still around and he's out as well, cut to, you know, yeah. however many years later. But I met Mark at a film festival, and it was, a, it was called the, the Spiritual Cinema Circle Festival at Sea. And it was all these incredibly enlightened filmmakers making conscious shifting media and that's really was something that I wanted to do I didn't want to just be an actress I wanted to be involved in projects that would shift humanity and I, I was very grandiose in terms of like maybe idealistic in what I wanted mm -hmm. to do and when I met Mark he said well if you like my film you'll like this workshop I just took now as you know Tasha because you read my book I've always been into workshops and seminars and and self-help and read all these you know different authors that that helped me along my spiritual path but seeing what the bleep and meeting mark was really the 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 only way i think that i would have gotten into nexium because it i really trusted him and mm -hmm. i also like i wanted to work with him and that he was like this is a group of people who are mm -hmm. who are doing that something important yeah. something meaningful mm -hmm. now you weren't impressed with ranieri at the top or even the process i know you didn't meet him at your first wor workshop but when you describe some of the flags at that first workshop do you just want do you want to dive into those sure yeah well i think it's uh, um important to to talk about how these things, you know, can be used in the both good and the bad ways. So I think it's true that when people say things like no pain, no gain, and to, to break out of your comfort zone, you have to be a bit uncomfortable and things like that. But the way that ESP used that um, in a negative way is they said in the, at the beginning of our first training, if you feel uncomfortable, this is before we did any curriculum, mm -hmm. if you feel uncomfortable, if you have the urge to bolt, that that means that there's an issue there that you that we want to look at that you're changing you're improving you're growing yes that's the idea yes but then at the same time you you barriers your natural instincts are being numbed right and well my intuition was to get out i'm mm -hmm. everything in my body was like get out and and leave and then and then i would call mark i called mark at the end of day one and he said just give it to day three i know it's weird and like it'll all make sense and I, now i understand that you need about three day, days to to successfully begin the indoctrination process mm -hmm. for somebody or brainwashing is a more common term for that you talked about how you'd say thank you vanguard mm -hmm. at the end of different processes i think that's the one that for me would have been a no i just not i i can't do overt following mm -hmm. it it rubs me the wrong way mm -hmm. how, what did you do with that one did that bug you did it, it did it did for the first two days and by day three once i'd had some big shifts i right. was like okay i'll thank this guy he's you know for the material yeah yeah and I felt also kind of bad for not because it also expressed that people who don't like to pay tribute are suppressives hmm. and that was something that was bad and so you didn't I kind of didn't want to be bad <laughs> I didn't want to be a suppressive so I better thank the person who built this otherwise I'm the suppressive so it, it's kind of a loop that's being set up so that if you have any disagreements or any questions that might be um, poking at him in any way you're subversive yes and what would be done if you were labeled subversive is it just the humiliation of the group like group shame or it depends when it happened it's if usually in almost every training especially if there's about 20 or 30 people there'd be one or two people that would say like you said, I'm not a follower. I'm not going to say thank you to this guy. And they'd be asked to leave. They'd be asked yeah. to leave. 
And had I not paid so much money that yeah. was non-refundable, and had I not had been invited by Mark, I, I'm almost positive I would have left. Wow. Had it been a $200 training, I probably would have said, screw this. Right, and walked away. Yeah, it was $2,000. I wanted to get my money's worth. <laughs> and the, the other thing that's so interesting to me is that you were kept, I mean, you were an incredible re recruiter mm -hmm. yourself, and, and you built this center eventually here in, in Vancouver. But and that was the most successful center for us. At a certain point, and we always had a friendly competition with Mexico City, but at a certain right. point, we had the most students in the company. And so there were all these women who were closer to him that were on that inside circle even then. Mm -hmm. What do you think, you were involved for 12 years, what do you think took so long for you to for them to invite you into that um, circle is it simply because you were recruiting and they didn't want to mess with it or what do you mm. think that was I don't actually know for sure and ironically I spoke with somebody today for the first time since I left who was part of the inner circle at one point and then uh, grew too old for Keith and was sort of on the outer edge of the inner circle so she didn't even know about many of these things and I said why was I kept in the dark do mm -hmm. you think and mm -hmm. she didn't know for sure either but we hypothesizes because I was bringing in so many people and I wouldn't have been okay with right. the practices if I'd known about it right um, specifically polyamory which I will say outright, I don't care if people practice that. I have many friends in open relationships, and that's not a problem. It's the lack of um, honesty and the transparency. And I, I, when I was pitched this whole thing, I was told Keith was celibate and renunciate, right. things which are obviously so ridiculous now. Right. But um, I think they, they wanted, they just wanted a fresh supply of people, and I provided that. I was very... And I always have been a very good promoter of, of things that I love, whether it's yoga or green juice or mm -hmm. the latest mm -hmm. coconut water, you know, or raw right. chocolates. But you know, I, I think based on the on, on your story, on your book, um, there was also uh, they were trying. Uh, you were not hundred percent all the time following the the rules. No, you didn't move there, even though you were uh, offered opportunity. Um, you uh, so I think they were working on you, trying to break you into uh, this uh, someone who is going to follow and eventually um, wouldn't decline uh, the invitation to to be one of his lovers. Mm -hmm. But I think because of your character, because of your uh, personal um, beliefs, uh, I think he knew that it takes much longer than uh, than other women true i think he attempted and he wasn't able to break me and i've realized about myself through this journey of real self-discovery that i i tend to be a rule follower to a degree but inside i'm i'm not mm -hmm. you know so I'll, I'll do like even going through tsa i'll do what i need to do but inside i'm like, this is ridiculous you know mm -hmm. and i think i had that i always kept one foot in reality reality being vancouver i never moved to albany and i was able to um to really see it because i wasn't fully immersed so yes i was indoctrinated and i was very brainwashed with the doctrine of esp and nexium but I didn't give my whole life to him and to the company. Mm -hmm. What do you think drives such bright, intelligent? Because there are lots of people you look at and you go, wow, you've got it all. Allison mm -hmm. Mack mm -hmm. from Smallville, the Seagrams, uh, Claire and Sarah Brothman. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are people who, from the outside, don't appear to uh, look like they've got a pretty good life going. Mm -hmm. What is it that would 
allow them to follow someone like Ranieri because you weren't that impressed with him. He's, you know, I've watched video too and I'm kind of going, huh. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like he's even, I don't know who would be the guy. I was going to say Brad Pitt, but I don't really like Brad Pitt, so that's not a great example. But you know what I'm saying? He's not... Why are you looking at me, though? Oh. Well, because I thought you'd know who I'd be attracted <laughs> oh, to. Oh, no, I thought you, that you, you were trying me, to but... <laughs> pose me as an example. So, no. 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 Do you know what I'm asking? Yes. Yeah. I, well, I, you know, I can't speak for them specifically, but I would say that a lot of people are drawn to what appears to be something that provides meaning. And I have heard Allison say that she had everything and she wasn't fulfilled. And that, and I hear that a lot of, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of different mm -hmm. places where people say they have what they wanted and they don't feel happy. And this is what Keith promised, the science of joy. Mm -hmm. That's what he called Nexium, the science of joy. And we were like, wow. And keep in mind, if you hear of somebody who's like, you know, a sex trafficking can I say a douchebag on this show? Sure. Okay, douchebags. Yeah, sorry. So, <laughs> sociopath. And then you see his video. You go, okay, clearly he's that. But if you were to hear about him as this humanitarian, this most ethical man in the world, blah, 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 blah. The and smartest then man. Smartest man in the world. And then you meet him, and he's been upheld in this way. And you believe that, you're looking for that. So I think that's part of how it works. People around him were like a Greek chorus touting him in this way. And by the time you met him, it was like... If I don't, I, if I don't see the brilliance, there's something, there's wrong, something with me. wrong with you. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, so there, it's he was that able setup. to fool. Or the entire organization was able to fool um, Clintons, right? Uh, Richard Branson, uh, Dalai Lama. Lama. Right. Yeah. <laughs> In unison, <laughs> it's true. When people say, "How do you fall for it?" Well, a lot, a lot of very smart, intelligent people fall for things like this. And when I say fall for it, it's a, it's a con, you know. And groups like this don't look for idiots they look for people who are high functioning idealistic um motivated Recru recruiters yeah. so they can bring in more and, of their and, friends and function and run the company yeah right. yeah so. so how how did he get into guinness book of records as the smartest man alive well what i've been told is that there was a take-home test and he brought this is in the 80s and he brought it home and there was a group of people that helped him with this test and then that's how he got in it and eventually they took him out because i think they realized there should be better ways to test someone's intelligence so okay <laughs> i mean if you look at the resume that he had on his website it said uh, judo champion age 11 which my husband's like if i showed you my list of championships from right. my basketball right. like right. who says that age right. 11 judo right. champion who cares right, right, right. <laughs> so there you are, doing all this work, recruiting, believing that you're moving the world forward. Mm -hmm. Is there anything, maybe you could touch on the foundation of the teachings, a couple of key points, and sure. especially mm -hmm. if there's any that still are of value to you. Sure. Because you're right, it's like the honey on the outside often has some real nuggets that are applicable and make lives better, mm -hmm. right? Can sure. You? Yeah, the basic... Um, way to, that I used to describe Nexium is that it was a, a tool set or an education that allowed people to reevaluate their belief system and look at it from a more uh, logical mind. And the whole concept was that we created our belief system when we're quite young, our blueprint for reality, which I do think is true, true. And, and separate from Nexium. Yeah. And so when you're not logical and you still believe in Santa Claus, you create a belief system that may not be totally um, reality-based. And then you grow up and you have conflicts um, things like, um, you know, I want to go to the gym, but I just don't feel like it. So in you have an ideology of what you want in your mind, and then your body may not be on board. You know, mm -hmm. I, I want to be a kind person, but 
I, I'm going to flip the bird to somebody who just got angry. So that's right. not consistent. So we're looking at the belief system so that you can upgrade it and be more consistent with who you want to be. And that there was a whole tool set to, called Rational Inquiry, which was to rationally inquire as to what that belief system looked like and upgrade it. We, I call it like upgrading the programming. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of tools I still learn, but I, ha- I mean, a lot of tools that I learned that I still use, but I have to say that part of that for me has been figuring out where those tools came from originally, like who created it. Because so some of them are stolen. Yeah, I would yeah. say almost all of them are stolen. Right. I think what was unique was how we put it together, right. you know, in a step-by-step way so that people had big shifts uh, and left the five-day almost like on a high. I, I know would, I certainly did. Was that him or Nancy? I'd say probably both. I think that there was some elements the way that they did repetition in the in the way the modules, which were these two-hour classes, uh, put people into almost like a trance and susceptible to the brain, um, you know, what I would call brainwashing or indoctrination and to, to taking on a new belief system. So we thought we were upgrading our belief system, which we did, and then at the same time they were slipping in their own Right. Uh, belief systems right. that would benefited him. And do you think it was NLP-based, yep. neuro-linguistic programming? Definitely. Yeah. Some NLP, yeah. uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, yeah. some basic Euro- um, Eastern um, philosophies of just, like, stolen a little bit from Buddhism and, and different um, beliefs that are just good tenets for living, mm-hmm. you know, about truth and honesty well, and things like that. the piece around, you were saying a common phrase mm-hmm. was, what do you make that mean, mm-hmm. or what does that mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I use that a lot, because yes. if I can, but it's, I, it, if each individual owns the meaning they're making, and there's room for everybody's meaning mm-hmm. in the same container, to yeah. me, that's healthy. Yes. Because we're always making meaning as yeah. human beings. That's what we're doing. Yes. If the problem is when you think one meaning is right and one is wrong, or somebody's got an issue because they're making a certain meaning, which is mm-hmm. what it sounds like more what Nexium was doing. Yeah, I think the good part of it, I remember my first five day, I had a, re- they, they'd ask people to bring a reaction, a stimulus response reaction. Mm-hmm. Every time this happens, I feel this way. One right. of them was every time my, my boyfriend doesn't come to bed with me, I, I get angry or get upset. And really, what does it mean that he doesn't come to bed with me? Well, I feel like he doesn't love me. Right. As soon as I say that, well, that's ridiculous. Right. Is it possible that he loves you and he's not coming to bed right. with you? Right. right. He just wants to watch TV or whatever. So as soon as you take away that meaning, it doesn't have the same reaction in the body. It's sort of, that's a very vague and kind of benign example, but you could bring anything to a coach and have that be uh, dissolved or dismantled in a very short period, which is why I loved it so much. Mm -hmm. I'm all about efficiency in my Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. I don't like long drawn out therapy sessions. And so I went through this process and thought, wow, that's so quick and so fast. I want to learn how to do this and do it for everybody. And that in and of itself, I think, is a good tool, but it's, uh, ironically, this is something that Keith said, a knife in the hand of a surgeon is different than the knife of a hand of a murderer. So if a murderer or somebody with bad intent has that same tool, they can convince you to do something that you don't want to do. So give us examples of what yeah. they would slip in between. Well, like for lives. example, I mean, I heard Keith many times saying, you know, because people would ask him in public forums, uh, what do you think of something, you know, what is what is sex or something? Well, sex is only what you make it mean, right? What do you make it mean? What if what if sex is just like tennis? Mm-hmm. What if you're just having a tennis match with somebody? Right. I remember um, it wasn't in your book, um, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, Tony's book. Um, uh, there was an example that they would ask people if everybody should be equal. 
And uh, most people would say, yes, everybody should be treated equally. And then uh, there was a class, apparently, and please correct me if Tony is uh, stretching something. But um, uh, the argument would be no. There are some people that are better than other people, and they should uh, be compensated for or uh, be in, in charge of um, more, uh, have more power and decision making than those who are not as um, um, wise or as smart or but as. Who's determining is the question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, he had a scale but of value of who creates the most value, zero to 10. Yeah. In the world. And the most, yeah, it's a, that's a little overstated. It wasn't quite so obvious as that. It was more subtle, but something, something like that, yeah. <clears throat> Lots of there were so many things that. In answer to earlier question, Tasha, or do we have a? Are we joint going We've to break? We've got a couple more minutes couple minute. before okay. break. I'll give you just a really simple example, just because I heard this on one of your other other. Um, episodes about understanding your values hierarchy and I see this in different modalities helping people be clear on what is your highest value for me a tool set that I still use is with decision making if I have to decide between two things um, understanding for me now that for me personally family is my highest value when I was in mm -hmm. ESP it started off that acting and creativity were my highest value but that so slowly got trumped by um, that Nexium had to be my highest value it had to be if you if you were gonna rise in the ranks Personal growth had to be your highest value. So if you're choosing between a family reunion and an intensive, yeah. you had to choose the intensive, otherwise you would be shamed, right. uh, punished subtly. Um, but I still use that hierarchy. I just, my, my values hierarchy has changed. Family's my highest value. So right. a lot of people have trouble making decisions because they're not clear on their values and what's the most important thing to them. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where I wanted to segue to, but maybe we'll take our break. Okay. Because I wanted to talk about advancement within the organization and the stripe path and sure. get into all that. <laughs> You're listening to Conscious Living Radio 100.5 FM. Here's a track called Medicine. Give thanks to 
each and every one. The lesson is the medicine woman, medicine man. Walk in with grace, I know your face and I trust your hands. Medicine woman, medicine man. Walk in with grace, I know your face and I trust your hands. Conscious Living Radio, 100.5 FM in Vancouver, Co-op Radio. I'm Tasha Sims. I'm Andrew Resmer. And our guest this evening, Sarah Edmondson. Um, just such a fascinating conversation. We're talking about the cult Nexium, how Sarah had been involved, and we're um, we're hoping actually to have a part two. So we'll get as deep as we get today, and then we'll um, do another show so we can hear about what you're doing now. I have a feeling we're, there's we're not even going to get close. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> we're still in the organization. This is just the beginning of the series. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there you are. You're heading this incredible center, and I say incredible because I know know people who you know I've heard of people who have taken it who are referring their friends because people were actually getting great results you believed in this and it you thought this was it this was you drank the Kool-Aid I definitely drank the Kool-Aid there was something called the stripe path so in this organization you rise up through the stripe path where you actually had sashes of different colors that would denote mm-hmm. um, where you were on that path yes now if advancement was based, she just cringed folks who can't see who are just listening. <laughs> if advancement was based on recruitment rather than a measurable skill set, um, promotion wasn't easy for you. I was reading in the book. It was slow and you didn't really understand why. How do, have you come to understand that now? Well, there's always what they said was going on and then what, was, what I've now learned was actually going on. So at the time, they said that the stripe path was designed like martial arts system, and I'm watching my son do this in Taekwondo. It's, it's based on skills. And as an actor, you can 
do everything you think you can do and you may or may not book work. So I really like this concept of measurable growth. And to get to coach, you have to do a number of things. To get to senior coach, a number of things. It was based on skills, your emotional growth, and recruitment. So three things. Okay. Recruitment w- was never a problem. I always had lots of people that I was referring pe- to the to the organization. Skill set, I was very naturally um, a good fit for being a coach. I had good rapport skills. I could work with people. I mean, my, given my, my background, my parents' background, I was able to help people very quickly. Emotional development. Now, this is something that's not, it's not objective, it's subjective. And that's the part that I realized was manipulative, as they would say, well, to go to the next level, you really need to work on X, Y, Z. And that's what what was slow, and they held me back from going to the level that you need to get to to get paid. So for many years, I was working for free Mm -hmm. as an internship. And that was dangled in front of me. So once you get to Proctor, it was called, so senior coach, uh, um, like an official coach, until you get to Proctor, until you get to Proctor, and that was dangled in front of me. And then they would always have another thing that I needed to evolve to in order to get there but what i really re- recognize is they would only grant people their promotion when it served the company so they when i was ready to open my center then they gave me the promotion because you needed to be a proctor to right. open the center right and i think it was also one of the ways to try to break you yes as well because uh, you know the, you're, you're always so close and it, this uh, advancement is position in such a uh, you know so much pride i remember reading in your book how proud you were yes. each time when the it happened so they were keeping so close yet um uh, expecting you to do something uh, more and especially uh, in areas of emotions that is not me- measurable right, right. They, they will decide if you are attached enough or detached enough. yes if you were having an attachment to getting promoted you wouldn't, wouldn't get promoted oh it's a <laughs> setup it's a yes. terrible setup I remember doing a workshop, I think we've, we've, I know we've both done it, um, as a participant where you were evaluated whether you had had an enlightened breakthrough, so a spiritual breakthrough, mm-hmm. and someone outside of yourself would determine whether that was true If or you were enlightened or not in that moment. In that oh moment. In that moment. And I remember being so pissed <laughs> at the time, just going, you can't do that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you if I've had one, but you can't tell me. It's, again, mm-hmm. that, you know, are you internally referenced or externally? And I think for many people, just growing up, um, we, are, we are trained to be externally referenced, to see how we're doing based on the validation from the outside. Mm-hmm. That's the training. Socially, most families, yeah. right? That's the carrot. Some kind of carrot is being dangled outside of ourselves. Yes. And so for me, personal growth meant to turn that around and become my own authority. Mm-hmm. So that one step of someone else telling you to me perpetuated a dysfunctional program, mm-hmm. basically, from yeah. childhood. Mm-hmm. You would have hated the five-day. Um, but, <laughs> but I will say that when I was in it, I really thought that what we had was unique because mm-hmm. I saw these other personal development programs where people were getting, you know, were teaching, but on, based on what? And I thought we, I thought we had a measurable criteria for growth that was, that, because Nancy always said that the, the personal development, even therapy, is a soft science. And for the first time, this company was making it scientific, as measurable. Mm-hmm. And I thought. And, the, and we did these before and after surveys. They had uh, EEGs where they're measuring people's, oh. you know, brain, uh, brain brainwaves during integrations, which is when you have an emotional per- perceptual shift. 
and you integrate a new concept. So it seemed legitimate in terms of its scientific bearings. And after the fact, I've since learned that those before and after surveys never even left the building. We were told they were going to a third party to evaluate Mm-hmm. our merits mm-hmm. so it's all a facade so again this leads us to yeah. cults yes. the bigger umbrella i wonder if mm-hmm. we can just touch on that for a bit um i know a key component's mind control mm-hmm. and whether it's indoctrination without informed consent where you don't like as you were saying you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes there's right. the front but there's also um strategies that mislead misrepresent especially emotionally mm-hmm. i wonder if that's if there's anything that you could offer our listeners because so many people are interested in personal growth mm-hmm. as warning signs as things to look for at the beginning before they're deciding to do group work of this absolutely. nature absolutely yes i i have a list i should have brought it maybe i'll save that for part 2 but okay. off the top of my head i would say if somebody joins a group and there's a leader who seems to hold all of this authority and it's not okay to question them is the, is one of the key things that if they don't feel comfortable um, being and, and the thing is this is very subtle because in our group we thought we were learning critical thinking but it was the opposite and it was more that it was set up in such a way that people you're in a group setting and everyone's going along with it. everyone's saying this is amazing this is amazing so people may not have been publicly said you you know you can't ask questions but it Mm -hmm. wasn't Mm -hmm. it wasn't um fostered so people would tend to almost like a peer pressure type of way very subtle but later when i started to ask questions i learned that any anything that i was brought up that was against keith there was even saying something like you know we have such an outdated website when are we going to update it well keith says we don't need a website really keith says we don't (laughs) are you doubting keith right you know, you don't think Keith has thought about this? What does he know that you don't know? What does it mean that you're questioning, Keith? <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Right. It, it was very, it wasn't like I was going to get spanked. That came later. We'll talk about that on Friday. Okay. <laughs> and what about distancing? <laughs> One of the factors is, is I, I know about cults is you sort of distance from yes. your personal relationships. Yes. Did you find yes. that with Nexium? You were. Absolutely. And again, it wasn't like they said, don't talk to people who aren't supporters. It was partly for me, it was that there was so much time invested into Nexium that anyone that wasn't part of it, it was sort of like out of sight, out of mind. But one red flag for sure, and I'll share with listeners, if people are encouraged to cut out or shun people that aren't in line with you, that's a massive red flag. Um, the other one I would say is is doing research on the group, and if there's anything out there in the media, abuse, um, reports of any sort of unethical behavior, chances are there's something in there that's true. And when I was in, it, there was some media, but it got, grew worse and worse over the years, and we were told not to read it. It was a smear campaign against Keith because, you know, anyone doing good in the world is always going to get pushed back. And so I didn't even read the majority of it and a friend of mine in my in my last year said to me that's not how the media works you can't do a complete smear campaign even and he said even if 10% of this is true wouldn't you be concerned mm-hmm. so I would tell people do the research and and then if there are things in there you're not sure and you bring it to the leadership how do they handle that do they say oh it's a smear campaign it's just people who are trying to take us down because we're doing such you know we're changing the world and mm-hmm. us yeah, and them us and them that's exactly what I was going to say next if there's an us and them mentality 
it's probably not a humanitarian organization. <laughs> what, about, what about um, sometimes I, I've been to a few um, uh, seminars where they say, we want you to suspend everything you've known and to, um, learned before and allow yourself to go through this for next whatever, two, three months, as long as this course is. And in during that time, do not read or uh, take other uh, paths because it will interfere. What would you... Is that part of... Um, making you de uh, completely devoted to, to one form. That, yeah, that would be a red flag for me. I don't think there's one way. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing. If anyone's saying they have the way or the answers to all of life's issues and conditions, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so tricky because there are wonderful groups out there, and even wonderful groups can be infiltrated by somebody with bad intentions. And I... I'm personally very skeptical of so many things now. Um, any invitation, what's the, what's the intention here? But I think that, I'd, I mean, I'd had zero education on cults. My, my re reference point was Jonestown and, you know, mm -hmm. people sh you know, shaving their heads and mm -hmm. drinking goat's blood. Right. A large group awareness training is what um, this, this particular cult falls under. And there's lots of LGATs, so they're called large group awareness training, especially in Vancouver, and people love them. They flock to them, and they get a lot of value. And I think, great, take a weekend workshop. The other red flag I'd say is if they are, they're asking you to put in more time and start donating your time for the greater good, or because it's a value for you, and they're not paying you. There's not a good, I'm not, they're not. There's no fair exchange there, and uh, you start devoting your life and and um, dropping other hobbies for the sake of the group. Or you mm -hmm. see other people doing that. Uh, and major personality shifts. This is more for advice for people who know somebody who might be in a, in a destructive cult. Is If they come back from a training and they're a completely different, they seem like a completely different person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking about how one gets to that place where, how insidious it is, really, because you're excited about something mm -hmm. you're seeing results in your own life you're happy about it mm -hmm. and so the people that you love you want them to know about it right. and and get on board and then when they don't it's almost like they're saying no to, to the happiness yes that you think is so possible if only right mm -hmm. and then you push more or whatever it is it definitely impacts personal relationships yes. right in terms of um Connection and, mm -hmm. and how you relate, thinking that the only way to relate now is through rational inquiry or whatever the other techniques are. Right? Yeah, I absolutely burnt many bridges that I'm still trying to heal because I was such a zealot coming out mm -hmm. of my five-day. And they even warned us that, of that. As they said, you're very different. You've had big shifts. You're going to go home. People are going to push your buttons. You're not going to react in the same way. You're not going to do the dance in the same way. And they're going to say, you're in a cult. Right. They even warned us. They even said that. Right. And then we had, we had a whole response that we were trained of, what to, well, what is a cult exactly? A cult implies there's something bad. What's bad here? I've right. had a great shift. I'm happier. How can you say that's bad? Right. right. Do you think talking about the fact that, you know, that, what is that? Shakespeare, me think thou doth protest, protest too much. much. <laughs> um, any, any organization that's talking about being a cult or not being a cult, it might be uh, <laughs> yeah. an idea to take a, a deeper look. Yes. <laughs> I say do a deep look anyway. I mean, yeah. I, I did no research before I started ESP. Nothing. Yeah. And knowing whether a group is safe or not, <clears throat> I mean, 
just simply when you gather human beings together, there's a power that's created um, that is even beyond intention where the group is trying to form and looking for a um, sameness within that group. So whatever path that becomes, anybody who's different than that can experience um, difficulty being a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's, you know, as if you, like a family of origin. It's like you don't belong if you don't buy in. Right, right. And that, that's what actually is the beginning of indoctrination. It's assuming there's this group think towards a certain whatever. And I, th- I think that the, the leadership of Nexium had had a, an intention to say, we want this outcome. We didn't know that, that that's the part that's, that's deceptive. We didn't know what their outcome was. And we start doing things. And that's how you can get people to operate it for your own, um, excuse me, for, for your own... Um, what's the word intentions they had had us doing very simple things at day one you can change someone's behavior and that slowly changes their their thought process they had us checking in with our coach every day to check in accountability that's great i'm Mm -hmm. sure there's lots of goals Mm -hmm. programs where you check in with a coach if that has if there's good intent behind that wonderful if there's bad intent you're starting to be dependent on the group which is another red flag dependency Mm-hmm. And that's ironically, they taught us dependency was bad. You'd be not dependent on alcohol and any, anything on the outside to make you happy was a, a dependency, except let's be dependent on ESP and Nexium. But it wasn't said even that way, no, right? That's no. the point. And sometimes you don't realize that that happened until you leave. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then your world crumbles because you go, oh my God, that was my world. It was. Right? It was a big dependency. So yeah. I wanted to, to talk a little bit about uh, your family mm-hmm. because um, your mom questioned it. Mm-hmm. Your dad uh, bought into it. Mm-hmm. You, your husband... Um, I met him there. You met him there. so He was a believer too. And that's right. So Tell me how this um, being part of such a, an interaction with other people, with friends, family, mm-hmm. come back. Some people see this, some don't. How um, how did it work out for you in your family and your relationships? And how would you recommend others? Let's say if I have a kid who comes back and is all rara about mm-hmm. some experience, and I have um, a suspicion. Mm-hmm. Obviously, your mom didn't convince you about mm-hmm. her suspicions. I think. It's a tough thing, but I would just say that if you have a kid that comes back rah rah about anything, don't and it, it, don't tell them they're in a cult, you know, because it, it it will push them away. And I think my mom did the best thing that she could, which was to keep me close, ask questions. I mean, I found her questions really irritating because she would ask me things like, "Well, isn't it maybe a good idea to look at other modalities?" <laughs> and I was like, "Mom, you don't get it. He is the smartest man in the world." And I think really, like looking back, I was individuating in a way and I'd been her and I'd been very close and I was sort of finding my own path and doing my own mm-hmm, thing right. and, mm-hmm. um, and then and that wasn't healthy either right so I was like a teenager all over again um, but I would say if you think someone's in a call especially a family member be very calm and loving and supportive and ask questions and get educated about the group specifically mm-hmm. um, there's lots of organizations you can find online that that are very you know, sp- the specific allegations are laid out, court cases, resources, and then ask for help. But people did try to tell you. So Not what, really, though. What could have, I guess the question yeah. is, what, what could have? What could have your mom done or said that would have uh, actually stopped you from... I don't think my mom could have done anything, to be honest. But nobody ever really, th- through my 12 years, except for one person at the end, which I get into in the book, sat me down and said seriously, 
I think you're in a cult, and here's the proof. They would say, like, mm-hmm. oh, look at this magazine article. Right. Like, that's right. weird, right? And I'm like, that's not true. It was a smear campaign. Right. Nobody, and, and people say, especially here in Vancouver, oh, I knew. I was invited to an intro. I knew it was, I knew it was a cult. Oh, really? You knew it was a cult? Thanks for telling me, Yeah, jerk. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> first of all. And secondly, nobody really knew how bad it was. People thought it was culty, mm-hmm. and I thought it was culty. I just thought it was a good cult. You know, I thought it was a cult of happy, successful people. <laughs> well, we, do, we don't have time to really delve into the cult that is under the cult. Right. But I want to introduce it. And yeah, then let's, we'll let's, let's have a teaser. Yeah. So, so, so there's not enough time. So let me, just, let me by, uh, start by defining. It's called DOS. And I know it's a Latin phrase that loosely translates to Lord Master of the Obedient Female Companions or the vow and there were multiple I'll do a quick little recap at least that's what i read yes, you can yes. correct no me no if it's I'm true wrong. i'm just rolling my eyes dos um, <laughs> operated with levels of women so there were slaves who were headed by masters and then those slaves recruiting more slaves to become masters kind of a pyramid with ranieri at the top and i understand allison mack right beside him mm-hmm. is that accurately sum it up sort of allison was one of um seven i believe women who are under keith and just to be clear they they kept that um um, secret that keith was at the top so when i was recruited it was i was invited into a women's group right the top secret badass women's group so again there's going to change the world it's going to change the world and there's like i said earlier there's what we thought it was and then what it actually was so two separate things but the concept of master slave was also introduced before um the subsequent branding that happened what was it about that how was it introduced to you Mm -hmm. And also maybe why. I know Lauren Salzman, your friend and also mentor, introduced it to you. Why then? How yes. did she do it? And why, why then? That's 12 years you were with the organization. Mm-hmm. And it had been around for a while, yeah? Mm, it had been around for a couple of years, but Lauren had just been in, indoctrinated into the group. Okay. Invited in, in, the, in the month before she brought me in. Um, I will just preface all this by saying this is where things get very strange. And one of the reasons why I wrote the book is to lay it all out, like how I went from running personal development center uh, seminars and doing continental breakfasts and printing out notes to being in this um, inner sanctum, bizarre I don't even know what to call it, sorority that was very dark. How did it happen? What were the steps along the way? And if anyone had said to me, hey, do you want to do a five-day and have Keith Ranieri's initials burnt into your flesh? Of course I would have said no, and you're crazy. It doesn't work like that. There's the the frog in the pot of water that doesn't know it's being boiled and dies, and, mm-hmm. and that's how indoctrination works slowly over time. So some of the details I may say may not may not make sense to listeners, and if they're curious, they can read the book or listen to the podcast. But I think that it's important to understand that that nobody joins a cult on purpose. Mm-hmm. Nobody nobody wants to be brainwashed, mm-hmm. and um, the details of the of the DOS and the master slave relationship are very nuanced and very complex. But why then? Why at that point? I was feeling disenfranchised, truthfully, with with ESP. I had a, I had a child. I'd pulled back. There were a lot of problems in the company, but I was still a believer. I, I always imagined I'd be a member for life. I did. I thought that. But then there were it was there was problems with the leadership, and I and I didn't um, I didn't know how to reconcile that. 
And I, I had my own personal things that I was working on that I needed to work on to get to the next level, and I was stagnating. So here was an opportunity. The thing that most appealed to me about it, even though it was strange, it was that it was Nan, uh, Nancy's daughter, who was president of the company, Lauren, uh, who's my best friend, somebody I really trusted, the head of education, uh, saying, I'm going to mentor you, and I'm going to take you on, and I'm going to work with you, and we're going to check in every day. And that's why I joined, really, and to be a part of this group of women. So the promise on the outside mm -hmm. was uh, this amazing sisterhood yes. of very powerful women that are going to support each other to make this world a better place. Yes. Who wouldn't want to be part of yeah. it, right? And, uh, but the real story behind it, which we are going to go deeper into next time, uh, because we only have literally one and a half minute left, mm -hmm. uh, the real story, it was a, f a form of creating slaves that would become completely um, dependent and uh, to whatever Keith Rainier uh, mm -hmm. wanted to Happen. And I'll tell you, there's still a handful of women out there who are still in it, who still question. have masters and still have to ask them permission to do things, even if they're not in the same city, and are still bound by this, whatever collateral they gave, and still believe that Keith is innocent and I'm crazy. Wow. <laughs> so that's a good a note deep, to end on. A deep collective, collective sigh. sigh. Yeah. And that, really, I could talk about this for a long time, so I'm glad we're going to have part two. I am too. So we'll get together, and um, I really do want to thank you for coming down and doing this interview with us. And to be continued, part two of uh, Sarah's freedom from Nexium and and I guess we're going to get into some of that darker underbelly now and what actually was going on that um, became clear to you after this uh, DOS women's group experience. Wonderful. Thanks, Tasha. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so Andrew. Much. Thank you've, you. You've been listening to Conscious Living Radio 100.5 FM in Vancouver, Co-op Radio. Catch you next Wednesday. Don't hold your breath.